This is Israeli Technology Founders Speak, a podcast of conversations with successful Israeli high-tech and biotech entrepreneurs, with your host, Avraham Hermon. Dr. Herman Weiss is the CEO and co-founder of Provation Life, an Israeli nutraceutical startup that helps women suffering from hormonal imbalance to support their fertility, weight loss, and general medical health. Avraham sat down with Herman in his home in Beit Shemesh to discuss the problem that Provation Life solves, getting funded, building a team, tips for startup founders, and much more. This podcast is a creation of J.M.B. Davis Ben David, an intellectual property law firm serving clients around the world. You have great innovations. We keep them safe. It's not enough to just have a great startup idea or innovation. If you don't legally protect your innovations, products, and brand, anyone can claim them as their own. We keep your great innovation secure. Learn more by going to jmbdavis.com. That's J-M-B-D-A-V-I-S dot com. I'm here with uh, Dr. Herman Weiss in his lovely house in Beit Shemesh. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you today about Provision Life, which is your startup that you started. What problem does Provision Life solve? I am an OBGYN, women's health specialist. I've been in this for 40, uh, 20 plus years and have, uh, have practiced medicine, treating patients, I uh, worked in industry at Teva, started my own biotech company uh, in a medical device uh, space in women's health, was the head of clinical development and medical affairs at another company in Boston, um, but always been treating patients. And one of the big things that you know we do when we're in industry is always looking for the unmet medical need. And one of the l- largest actual unmet medical need in, in women's health is something called polycystic ovary syndrome. And why is it so such an unmet need is because it's almost you know, 10 to 12 and some studies 15 to 20 percent of the female uh, population suffers from PCOS mm-hmm. and PCOS basically you know it, it, it is a diverse presentation and patients come in to see their doctors the doctors take one look at them and diagnose them and, and say do you want to get pregnant no here's birth control pills and if you want to get pregnant here's infertility and there's a huge whiteboard in between that and over the course of my career, I've been, you know, you get articles and research projects about different supplements and different activities and lifestyle uh, modifications that actually work. And so then over the last 15 to 20 years, I've been telling my patients about different types of exercise, different types of supplements, how to improve their mental wellness, how to improve their diet, their exercise and nutrition, their microbiome. And sure enough, over the course of time, my patients have been improving. So I started looking at that and, and recommending a certain combination of nutraceuticals and all based on scientific facts that have worked and scientific proof that's worked uh, within the polycystic ovary population. And I would tell my patients, okay, go buy this, 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 and the other thing. And sure enough, a, a patient's father who happened to be in America at the time, you know, t- WhatsApp me a picture and says, Herman, is this what you want my daughter to take? And sent me a picture of like, seven to eight different supplements. I said, yeah, exactly. I said, wow, that must have cost you close to $400 for the whole entire, uh, uh, you know, gamut of, of recommendations. And he says, yeah, it was like $384. I'm like, wow. And that's when they say the Asimone dropped. That's when I had my, um, my epiphany to say, hey, why don't I put this all together? 
in one supplement. Put it all together in a in a powder. Patients can take the powder, put it into a smoothie, into a shake, into a meal supplement, uh, combine it with a protein powder, and uh, started you know, manufacturing it, put it all together. Actually, I mean, I guess this, this jumps ahead a little bit, but no one has ever put this combination together. Mm-hmm. Everyone only used the individual ingredients for PCOS. When I put it together, I was actually able to decrease the, the contents and there was actually some synergies that we observed. Interesting. Patients responded quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, we started ovulating again. Those that wanted to get pregnant, got pregnant. Those that wanted to lose weight, lost weight. There was a, all these uh, you know, positive effects that we, that we observed within a few weeks of taking the powder. And that's really what prompted my, uh, my creation of this company. So the, the massive unmet medical need is in polycystic ovary syndrome and, uh, and its treatment of non-hormonal treatments. Now, it could be that these patients will end up needing, you know, whether they need birth control, whether they need infertility treatments, but, you know, the first step should always be this holistic, um, you know, path forward of improving their diet and their exercise and nutrition. So you say you have a product already and you're out on the market? Yeah, yeah. So so uh, after this, you know, this epiphany, which was about two and a half, three years ago, I started combining different uh, amounts of the ingredients. Um, there are... Uh, 10 different ingredients in, in the uh, powder, uh, and they all work, uh, you know, funny enough, they all work for insulin resistance uh, in different aspects of the insulin resistant pathway. Because insulin resistance and PCOS have a tremendous amount of overlap. Mm-hmm. The reason we figured this out was in, in the 70s, they started giving patients um, with PCOS glucophage. Glucophage is a, a medication used for type 2 diabetes to improve insulin resistance. And it started improving their, their cycles. So PCOS patients were responding to a type 2 medication, type 2 diabetes medication. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking not only in the PCOS literature, but I started looking in the type 2 diabetes literature. So a lot of the ingredients that, that I've put into my powder and to my combination is, is actually marketed towards type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I have to tell my patients they don't have type 2 diabetes, although they're at risk for it. They don't have um, you know problems with their sugars, although they're at risk for it in pregnancy and, and, and later on in life. Right. And so these this combination was was like synergistic. Um, and that's actually how we came, came across getting the patent because our levels were, were lower. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, you're actually yeah. Going, going way ahead and this is, that, that's great. <laughs> Uh, sounds very interesting. And you had mentioned also that you're primarily a clinician, OBGYN. You work in the clinic. And can you explain to me how do you combine heading a startup with your idea and uh, also finding time for your patients? So, yeah, I'm actually pretty busy here. Uh, I see patients in Beit Shemesh. Um, I actually have a, uh, uh, a telehealth service as well. Um, and I'm constantly, you know, interacting with my patients uh, for, my, for my company, for Patient Life. We're very open, you know, patients who buy our product and want a, a additional advice. And um, we, also, we also have put on a, an educational um, YouTube channel uh, that um, patients can get educated about their uh, PCOS. And you know, one of my biggest foundational, you know, powers is educating the patient. And so when I'm seeing my patients in the office... I'm not that I'm using my tools, but I'm always, I'm honing my, my education, what works with them, what doesn't work, what resonates with them, what they respond to. And I try, I try to get, you know, better and better at what I'm doing, but at least more helping them get educated more and more. So, so I, I see, I do see a lot of patients and I'm very busy, um, in the office, 
Uh, but that just helps me, you know, you know, think about different things. And I write it down and say, Hey, let's, let's work on that. Let's, let's help patients get educated, you know, in various ways. Um, you know, one of, one of my, another epiphany moment, and I'd love to share this is I was at a wedding once and I was sitting at a wedding and I didn't recognize a couple sitting next to me. Um, but they leaned over and they said, Dr. Weiss, you know, you saved our daughter's life. And I, had no idea that I was the daughter's patient. I don't necessarily talk about my patients outside of the office. And they said, you know, two years ago, you made a comment about, you know, she had PCOS and, and you made a comment about how she should increase her exercise after she eats or, or you know, I have a whole spiel about that, about how to improve her, her behavioral you know, modification, so to speak, and, and her relationship with food. And I was making these comments just as I would normally do. Um, and, it resonated with her. It changed her life. She lost weight. She got pregnant. You know, everything that she wanted to do in life, she accomplished. And she owes owes that all to me. And like I, I wasn't expecting that at the wedding. I wasn't expecting anything. But really, it dawned on me that we need, as physicians, we need to communicate better with our, our, our patients. Um, totally. Because, because yeah. our, patients listen to us. Yeah, I think anyone who's been to a doctor, and I think that's also pretty common here in Israel, feels that same thing, that you really need communication with your doctor. And your whole medical experience is just going to get so much better if you have that. Yeah, and it's not as if I'm like doing any like you know crazy off the charts things. I'm just talking to patients, um, and so that really it, you know impressed upon me. And then I, I started talking to doctors in the states about like oh you know just talk to them about this that and the other thing. And the doctor actually this broke my heart. The doctor said, "Well, insurance companies don't pay me to talk to patients." Wow. Yeah, <laughs> it was a mic drop moment, and I had nothing to respond to it. It broke my heart. I said, "Well, why'd you go into medicine?" It turns out, you know, it was a dermatologist and our, and our powder is actually good for, uh, you know, adolescent acne and, and PCOS acne and, mm-hmm. and it, because it, it decreases the androgen levels because of the insulin resistance and, and the LH. So, so it actually helps to, uh, to decrease androgens. It helps with acne. And so I said, you know, you gotta, you know, people want immediate responses or immediate results, but that's not life. It has to be you know, very patient and you have to work your way through it. You know, you didn't develop PCOS overnight. It's not going to go away overnight. Right. And so if you're able just to kind of tilt that equation from elevated androgens to lower androgens, and that takes time to do, then you're going to see some responses. And I, and I, she said that to me and I just, just broke my heart. And I said, mm-hmm. wow, there is a huge unmet need there as well. So first I'm going after the patients and then I'm going to help the, the you know, educate doctors to help to educate their patients as well. So, and it's just a little bit, it's just a little bit, just trying to move that dial just one or two degrees, not to change the world. Mm-hmm. Wow. So tell me a little bit about your team. Who else do you have on your team with you? You know, you're not making this powder here on your own. Right. Uh, but uh, at the same time, it sounds like you're the main inventor, main idea behind it as well. Right. So I was sitting with a, a close friend of mine who was in the, also in the nutraceutical space on the tech side. And he actually lives here down the street from me. Uh, he's the CEO, COO of a of a, of a company that was in the, in the cannabis space at the time. And he was working on the, on their websites and, and really doing all the tech behind it. And, you know, I, I was pitching to him just my ideas and, and, you know, his eyes opened up and he knew a guy who was one of the founders of Focus Factor. Do you remember like in the like late eighties, early nineties, maybe it was nineties, two thousands, there was a nutraceutical product based on one 30 patient trial that did a hundred million in, in sales, uh, to help focus. And that was kind of like launched the nutraceutical like industry, so to speak. Interesting. 
And I pitched to him. He loved the idea. Uh, he introduced me to his manufacturer. The manufacturer sits in, uh, in Pittsburgh. Um, so we manufacture everything in the, in the U.S. and, uh, you know, package it and ship it out from there and got it FDA approved or, or, or allowed, so to speak. It's very difficult to get a nutraceutical, uh, with specific claims for diseases. Right. That you can say, you know, supportive of different scenarios, so to speak. So you're not mm-hmm. treating any diseases, but you're, you know, you're supporting ovarian health. Yeah, so that was our manufacturer. So the COO uh, jumped on board, and he he runs all my back um, back office stuff. Uh, I pitched to a, uh, my idea to a local digital uh, marketing team here, mm-hmm. and, and she was the the CEO of that digital marketing company. Um, loved it also, mm-hmm. and she jumped on board. Uh, so she runs our digital marketing. And then, you know, we found an Amazon uh, guy who leads our Amazon uh, team. And, um, you know, you need a lot of different people on board. And then as as you're aware, I I pitched this early on to my brother, who's a patent attorney. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he looked into it, got his chemical chemistry people uh, involved and said, it's patentable, Um, you know, and I gave him some of the results that we had. and, And we were able to actually, you know, achieve a, a u.s patent oh you have a granted u.s patent yeah granted. okay wow that's that's impressive it's not so easy sometimes for a startup to get that and especially i think in the nutraceuticals field from my experience yeah so yeah. that's a serious accomplishment so let's talk a little bit about your investment where does your investment come from first off a lot of it was you know, out of pocket my own mm-hmm. uh, and then i found just friends and family rounds um people that have invested with me in some of my other startups and had good exits in the past mm-hmm. uh saw that that I've been successful in the past and, and saw that I had a passion about this. And this is something that, you know, I, f- I firmly not only believe that it works, I know that it works. I see it in my patient on a day-to-day basis. I, mm-hmm. you know, patients I, I've interacted with and given the powder to or you know, sold the powder to have written reviews. Mm-hmm. Not that I've asked them for, but they've written these, you know, stellar reviews about getting their periods back. And, and so I'm very passionate about this. And so I was able to go out and, and, People saw that passion, and so I've only really raised about three hundred fifty thousand dollars to date, mm-hmm. and and we've uh, you know we're we're selling and we're manufacturing, and and so you know we're a uh, uh, going you know going uh, concerns so we're on our we're we're doing well. We are about to raise another round, um, and that's going to be really focused on more R and D. I want to get a, a, a real official clinical trial that I can actually promote. And then a, uh, a additional products that are not as, you know, I want to say sexy as our hero products, but add on products. Um, mm-hmm. Some people can't tolerate the, the hero products, so they'll take the individual ingredients. Um, and then there are other, uh, in- interventions as well, uh, that I'm, we're looking to expand the company, mm-hmm. um, in, in terms of the next few years. So we talked a little bit about IP and that you have a U.S. patent granted and, uh, you have a patent attorney on board as well. Can you tell me about the impact of IP on investors? Uh, great question. So the initial investors um, are seeing this as more of a marketing play where you don't really need IP. You just need to get a, a following. And because I'm a physician and, and, and able to get out there in front of it and see patients and answer their questions from my perspective, the initial investors weren't so like worried about an IP. Mm-hmm. As the company grows... And as more sophisticated investors come on board, they are more interested in seeing how are they protecting their investment, um, evaluation on the IP, 
Uh, and, and so you're able to actually increase the field of potential investors with IP. You're actually, actually, hopefully be able to increase the check writing size based on IP as well, mm-hmm. because you're able to protect the investment with the IP. As you get more sophisticated, they'll, they look deeper in the IP and actually what it means. And, and so it's, it's not just the IP that this is a, a more of a, a, you know, a whole package. So it definitely opens up more do- doors, the mm-hmm. IP, and it help, helps to make it more of a, of a sophisticated investment vehicle. You mentioned before that you are an experienced entrepreneur and you have previous startups. And before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about Startup Nation, the book. And I remember reading there that startup founders that have experience, whether successful or unsuccessful, but are not a first-time founder, they have a much higher success rate in their second startup. So I want you to, to address a little bit about how your experience as a founder or being involved in startups in the past has impacted your current current company. Uh, great question. So, um, you know, not everyone's going to hit it out of the park on every single startup. And there's going to be a lot more failures than successes. And, you know, one of the things that I've done over my career is I've seen many, many, many great ideas fall by the wayside because they couldn't raise funds. And I've mm-hmm. seen many lousy ideas be able to raise funds because of the management. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you, when you, you know, get out there, you, you want to, you want to see where the potential failures are and, and the potential minefields and challenges. Um, some challenges you can avoid and some challenges you have to overcome and you have to hurdle. You have to, and it makes you better and stronger afterwards. Um, you know, I, was, I gave lectures at, at YU. One of my courses is the business of biotech. In my first lecture, I talk about the five buckets, the five potential failures. You can, you can have a great, one bucket is, uh, you can have a, a, a great intervention, be it drug, be it medical device, be it nutraceutical, but in your you know, clinical trials, it doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it may have worked in the bench, but it doesn't work in the patient. So that's, that's a clinical trial failure. Okay. So it doesn't work. The next one is you may have it. You may have gotten your clinical trials, but you may have failed, uh, in upscaling it. Like you can make this small molecule, but you can't upscale it. Okay. So that's in manufacturing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now you've done everything now. Now let's say you can, you've gotten your clinical trials and you've upscaled it from bench to, you know, to bedside, so to speak. But the regulatory pathway is a no go and you fail there. Um, and then, okay, so now let's say you were able to make it. You got a clinical trial positive. You have manufacturing down. You got it approved. The last two buckets are doctors and patients. Right. Will the doctors write for it? Is it enough of a clinical meaning to actually make the doctor write for it? Okay. Whether it be a device or intervention, or whatever. And then the last one is, will a patient take it? Okay. And so, yeah. and so like I kind of sit in the middle of that because I actually had failures in each one of those buckets in my career. At Teva, I had failures in manufacturing at a, an approved a product, but, sure. but we couldn't manufacture it. And you know, going through my career, you know, it, it's always good to know the questions to ask. So, I mean, your question was in my history, is it better to have a fresh eyes on a problem versus a, someone who's tried and failed a few times or at least been part of failures and, and to, to grow from that? And I, you know, I think I definitely see advantages on both, but I think the person who understands what potential pitfalls there are mm-hmm. uh, that you have to navigate around, it's very, very helpful to have that. Yeah, that's a good answer. That probably also explains a lot of the differences in success between first time and second time, because 
You've already learned. You already failed. You know, well, not or you succeeded. Right. I'm not going to do that again. Exactly. You know, like, I'm not going to mess that one up. The best way to learn is by actually doing it. And if you're going to fail, fail fast. Yeah. You know, if you're going to screw up, screw up fast and then learn from it. Mm-hmm. Okay, good answer. Now, we're sitting here in, in Beit Shemesh in Israel. And let's just talk for a second about how being in Israel has an influence on probation life. Could you have done this elsewhere? What's, is there anything unique about Israel that allowed you to do this? Um, so if I would have been in the States right now, I'd just be, you know, a routine OBGYN doing my thing, delivering baby, you know, the babies, doing surgeries and seeing my patients in the office and have zero, you know, entrepreneurial mind. You, you know, the moment you step foot in Israel, you're just thinking about there, there is no like real no. It's like, okay, I understand there's, there's difficulty getting, you know, that answer, but I think there's a better way to do it. I remember one of, uh, my, my first startup that I, I co-founded with a gentleman by the name of Yossi Gross. Does, does that name ring a bell? Mm-hmm. So, so you had mentioned Startup Nation. He's, mm-hmm. He is one of those La Vie engineers. I see. Okay. He's, he's mentioned in, in... He's the, mentioned in the book yeah. that he lost his job and then he just went and became a serial entrepreneur. Just for the listener, let's just fill everyone in about what the La Vie project was. Oh, sorry. So, yeah. so uh, the La Vie was a, a fighter jet that Israel did not want to rely on foreign nations to produce a fighter jet. They needed to maintain their air superiority and they, uh, within the Middle East, so in the 70s, I guess 72 or 76 or whatever it was, um, they started developing a superior fighter jet. And then at some point in, in some governmental decision was to abandon the fighter jet, mm-hmm. buy it from uh, other countries. And they laid off this whole slew of academics and, and engineers. engineers and, and, uh, and they were, they flooded the, 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 the job market and there was no jobs. And so then they just started creating their own jobs. Mm-hmm. And so this gentleman by the name of Yossi Gross, I think he started 30 companies, exited wow. a bunch. And, and he had, he read in a magazine, a Nate, the nature magazine, no nature. Yeah. So he saw a article and he says, well, that's an interesting problem, but a dumb way to fix it. I have a better way to fix it in gynecology. And he's not a gynecologist. Mm-hmm. And, he, and, and then, so I actually went in, um, our first year that I was, uh, after Aliyah. Met with him, met with the team. I was hired to be one of the co-founders and uh, chief medical officer. And we went from idea to human trials within like two years. And that was an incredible, an incredible like, you know, lesson, you know, Mm -hmm. and and education. And and from that, I saw the attitude. I saw the, there is no, there is no no, Mm -hmm. okay? And the Israeli mentality is if you have an idea, then act on it. And that never would have happened in the States. I see. And so the entrepreneurial spirit, it just breathes here. Um, and it just is part of the ecosystem. It's part of the, it's part of the water you drink. Um, and it's really an air you breathe. Like if you speak to anybody, it's, it's, oh, what's your day job? Okay. Well, what do you, what startup are you working on? <laughs> and, uh, and it's really, uh, it's too true. Or what three startups are you working on? Wow. So that's a, that's a good answer. I think that really does hit the nail on the head from my experience that come across all these different people that are that have a day job and then they come to me with these ideas and then they're just trying to find the the time and the and the money to develop this uh idea on the side so that's really great and the infrastructure is built in such a way where you know the, it is paperwork of the government supports the ideas right. you have you chief scientist chief scientific you know, scientist office supports it um there is an infrastructure of investors that are looking for the next idea in mm-hmm. israel 
Um, and you know, I think that there's a lot of, it's like a ship that goes up and down, you know, on, on the, on the waves. There's, oh, we're only investing in a later stage. We're only investing in an early stage. And I think yeah, everything comes around. So if you can nurture your idea and keep it going and keep it alive, um, you know, you'll find your funding here too. So mm-hmm. I think that there's all the pieces are in the, are, uh, in the puzzle or in the box. You just have to put them together. Can you talk a little bit about your biggest hurdles moving forward as a company? It's good. You know, it's a good question. And I, I've had time to think about it. Um, Obviously, I think funding is always, you know, you, you got to kiss a lot of frogs to find your prince, mm-hmm. your princess. You need to find the, the right combination of not just money, but you want like smart money that can get you to the next introduction, the next connection, the next, um, because, you know, you could have the best idea. And unless you have the right connections at the right time, uh, it could, uh, it could fall by the wayside. So, uh, you know, I, I always find networking is not that it's a challenge for me. But I, I don't like that part of the game. Um, I like the here's you know raise money, do your clinical trials, get a positive <laughs> outcome, and then uh, and then you'll be able to you know whether you want to manufacture yourself or outsource you know or whatever the case may be in terms of your business plan. But I find that a lot of like I said earlier, there's a lot of money being spent on horrible ideas mm-hmm. because that. Or that management team is great at networking, at great at schmoozing, at great at, and so and so. Like I, I think that that I'd like my company's value to stand on its own shoulders, and, and often my biggest challenge is saying no. Sometimes we need to you know bring along and, and do that networking and try to you know nurture it uh, uh, other ways, not just mm-hmm. on clinical trials. What tips do you have for founders if they're at the beginning of their journey, starting their own companies? Consistency, consistency, consistency. Okay. And also know that the, if you're in it, it, you're not in it for the short term, you're in it for the long term. Let's just explain a little bit what you mean about consistency. Cause a lot of, uh, people I've spoken with in this podcast have talked about our project was X and now we had to pivot and now we're, we're Y. Right. So I was, I was about to say the, the, the P word because everyone likes to talk about pivoting, pivoting. Right. So. When I say consistency, it's not necessarily with this is the job that we're, you know, this is not, this is the product, the end product, we have to have that product. No, no, you, it, the consistency I'm talking about is efforts and, and keep the forward momentum going. And you may pivot, okay, but you're, you're, you're making forward progress, okay? And, and so people get very despondent and all of a sudden, you know, one day's gone, two days gone, a week's gone, three weeks gone, you haven't made any progress. You haven't made any more introduction. You haven't made any, you know, product development. And, and so the consistency is you have to keep, you know, when you're, uh, I don't know if you watch football, but if you keep as a running back, you should be coached to say, keep your legs moving, mm-hmm. right? If you just keep your legs moving, you're going to break a big one soon and make forward progress, forward, you know, move the chain, keep, you know, grinding it out. And then every so often you're going you're to bust a big one. So it's, it's really important to keep the consistency going where you're, you're actually doing things. Because if you, if you become like complacent, then you're going to fall off everyone's radar. Right. So that's what I'm talking about, consistency. I got it. And, and then progress takes time. I tell my patients all the time, and I mentioned this earlier in the mm-hmm. podcast, I said, you know, patients come in and, and they, they want one pill to fix it. They want one and they want to feel better the next day. They want, you know, that's okay, antibiotics and whatnot. But for something that didn't start overnight, specifically this field of polycystic ovary syndrome, it didn't happen overnight. It was a lifetime getting her to this. It's going to be a little bit, you know, it's going to take a little bit of effort to get there. Yeah. How much time are we talking about in general for a patient to see results for from PCOS? So, so that's what's incredible. And this is why we got a patent is I started seeing results within three weeks. Oh, wow. I had a patient come to me 
She had facial hair, okay? One of the signs of hyperandrogenism mm-hmm. were elevated androgens, which is the male hormone. Uh, she had some chin hair, okay? And within three weeks, her chin hair reversed. Now, it doesn't reverse overnight because it takes a long time. I always, in terms of hair growth um, issues, it always takes six months because whatever, you know, if your hair is falling out, it's something you did six months ago. If your hair is growing in the wrong places, uh, from a female perspective, it's it's because whatever's going on has been going on for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I was astounded to see her response within three weeks. It, it became, it was dark and coarse. It became light and then even regressed even more. Um, and then this particular patient conceived mm-hmm. uh, within like a, a few weeks later and she was having a, a, a lot of difficulty and she's mm-hmm. telling all her friends about the powder and she said it's a powder, powder. Uh, so like that's our biggest, our biggest fans of these patients who, um, who are success stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that was one of our, you know, I generally tell my patients though, expect eight to 12 weeks. The trials that I relied on my formulation for were 12 week trials. Mm-hmm. And so to make my, to get my patent, I started seeing results in four weeks and then six weeks. So that was quicker. And that's actually a novel, you know, novelty that, that, um, was unexpected. We mentioned briefly a little bit the, the concept of follow on products, additional products, but let me just ask you, where do you see the company provision life in another year or another five years down the road? Where do I see this company in the next two to five, ten years is uh, growing our, our patient population. There's plenty of patients uh, in, in the sea. Um, even getting a, you know, a few percentage points of those patients, uh, this company could be a you know, 20, 50, 100 million dollar company just on that alone. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's what you know, our projections show. If you know, we have additional products in, in the pipeline that are focused specifically at PCOS. We have uh, additional, there's a whole field that we really didn't talk about that's, that's massive as well as the microbiome. Um, the microbiome, improving microbiome, um, if you're aware, is there's this covered with bacteria both in our cells and in our guts. Um, and those different microbiome patterns have been associated with different diseases, including cancers, neurodegenerative diseases, mm-hmm. metabolic syndrome, and PCOS. Yeah. And so one of my you know big initiatives is also to help develop interventions um, that can help the micro, you know, heal the microbiome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, it takes time to, it didn't happen overnight, but you have to, you know, slowly make that. And so I see the company growing into, uh, into that as well. Okay, great. This has been an amazing discussion for me, and I'm and I'm hoping you can continue not only treating patients but also educating them and helping them succeed. Thank you very much for this opportunity to talk about probation life and about my my successes. And I always, you know, I mentioned this to you before about it's all about the narrative. You know, there there's an unmet need. How did you fill that unmet need, and how are you going to grow and 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 the vision uh, to take it further? And the bottom line is is that we're helping patients. And uh, I appreciate you uh, giving me the opportunity to get the word out. Okay, thanks. Where can we find more information about Probation Life? ProbationLife.com. The name is Probation Ova is the center. So it's Probation. Uh, instead of Ovation, it's Probation. Uh, ProbationLife.com. And it's all there. Great. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. That was Dr. Herman Weiss, the CEO and co-founder of Provation Life. We hope you enjoyed this episode. There are many more to come. Do you have a great innovation or startup idea? We'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us by going to our website, jmbdavis.com. 
And if you go to jambdavis.com forward slash startup, you'll see we have a special site specifically made for startups to help startups protect their innovations. Please be in touch with us and find out how we can help you. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to bringing you the next episode.